This is Delve Into Discourse. I'm Isaac Pickram. I'm Atrey Lyon. And I'm Jahari Shelton. This is a new podcast where we will be discussing and evaluating our opinions, sentiments, and analyses on the pressing issues of our world. Today's discourse will surround American <clears throat> political identity, nationalism, and fascism with the title, America, We Want to Reform. <laughs> so the current event for today is <laughs> the breaking news of the week. Um, Kanye West has decided to run for president. Now, we actually came to, to decide that this was going to be the current event last night. Um, that was Sway's um, contribution, so Sway can talk about it from, you know, why you decided this would be the m- most um, productive thing to speak about. Um, okay, so <laughs> I would say I, I think this is a a good topic because it segues nicely into what the meat of the episode. So that's why I think it's, it's a good current event. Um, but anyways, let me just talk about what I kind of make of Kanye West running for president. So in my opinion, Kanye West is working in tandem with Donald Trump to um, kind of gain a, another, another victory for Donald Trump. What I'm saying when I say he's there to split the Democratic vote, I'm more so saying that he's there to attear all the young voters and the people who don't vote. Because ultimately, we know that the left does not vote in numbers as strongly as the right does. And so he's there to to kind of get this, he's there to exploit the moment and get the anti-establishment vote that Biden is about to lose. And I'm saying that he knows that he will ultimately not win. And so that's my reasoning for why he's working with, I mean, we already know that he, he, he and Donald Trump are pally pally. <laughs> this is no myth. But what I do think is that maybe it's not he's splitting the kind of loyal Democrat votes, but he is splitting the left vote. Like, I think that will happen. Whether it be by 5% or 10. So my question to you is, why do you assume that it's the left vote he'd be splitting? Because what makes you think that he's a leftist that would draw in people other than like people who care more so about cult of personality? Well, I think that what well, I agree, first of all, with what Atwe is saying and the distinction that I, I made earlier and I think I would make is that I think that's what Kanye thinks he's doing and I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think that's his strategy. And I think the reason is because I wouldn't say Kanye is right or left. I think that's pretty clear. I think, again, it's that anti-establishment sentiment and that is what Kanye is trying to draw from because what we know is that anti-establishment people who at least are voting don't really want to vote for either party and he does have potential to take a, to take away that vote i don't know if i would say it's a split of the democratic vote i don't know if there's enough of those people um but i do think that is the strategy that is going through his mind right so okay so on the other side of it <laughs> i think my whole my my irritation with this stems around two things. One, that the, it's always talk about the Democratic vote being split, which to me seems more like coded language of there are some dumb people on the left 
pe some dumb people of color on the left that would fo choose to follow someone like Kanye over an established politician mm -hmm. like Joe Biden. And then the second aspect is when people are taken to social media to say that um, if you vote for Kanye, you're dead to me, um, <laughs> that we're like repeating like 2016 all over again. And I think that that is very ignorant because <laughs> like, like I don't, I don't know what people think of when they think of voting, but voting happens through the popular vote and electoral vote. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. She, right. she beat him by over 2 million votes. It was the electoral votes that kicked her in her hind pot. <laughs> like, like, I, like, it, like, I think that because people don't really seem to capture how you can so easily lose an election, even though you got more of the general voting population to vote for you, is, is going to keep us in that same 2016 rhetoric if this is all over and Trump wins again. They'll find somebody to scapegoat on why the Democrats didn't win when the Democrats are just as um, complicit in enabling fascism as anybody else. Fair. I would agree. I guess my whole thing is, is that he is so, okay, I guess my, our, we're, we're operating on different premises. My premise is that he's working with Trump. So whatever I'm saying here is off of that. Um, and I just think that if he were to have a strategy, his strategy is to basically salvage all the people who wouldn't have voted for the establishment and exploit this kind of new, well, it's not new, but this growing anti-establishment kind of sentiment in the country. And all the new young, I saw this thing was like 4 million new people or 4, four million um, young voters are kind of being added to the voting pool this year. Like, I think he's just going to exploit that. So are you saying that young people are more keen to vote for Kanye because of anti-establishment or because of celebrity? I think both. 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 Right. He, I mean, there are a ton for the, I would say a majority, and I, obviously this is more of an opinion, but I think it's definitely factually based. A majority of people who are anti-establishment tend to be younger. I think that's pretty clear. At the right. same time, there are people who look up to Kanye for his career, for his celebrity status. For his uh, black excellence. <laughs> ooh, don't even get me started. Stop it. Um, yes, yes. And I think that those people, I, I have already see that those people overlook some of Kanye's behavior and support him in his career just because of his, quote, excellence, black excellence, etc. So if they're willing to overlook it there, I think they're, they would also be willing to overlook it in a voting, uh, a poll booth. Mm. And just to add to that, um, I do think it's both. But what I do, I, I want to make also the point that kind of the celebrity sphere, Hollywood and the establishment, have been married for, they're in like a 200 year long marriage. I mean, like it's no stranger to the American political system or to American politics that celebrities, like Ronald Reagan was a celebrity. So I, I don't think- this He is was also new. the Republican party's um, wettest dream, if I can say that on here. <laughs> <laughs> also to your point about black excellence, um, we don't have to get into this, but I think it's, I, I just, 
care to make this point. Um, I find it fascinating how we use black excellence at, for a term for black people who have kind of entered like predominantly white spaces. Like rarely do I ever see see rappers being called black excellence because they're operating in a predominantly black space. And I just find that fascinating. Anyways, back to the topic. So, right. Okay. So let's talk about that actually, because um, you put on your story, Sway, you know, uh, is, are you a narcissist if you decide to run for president? Yeah. And I answered yes. I don't know. Did Isaac, you voted yes, I'm assuming. Yeah. Right. Mm. And so I think that it's interesting. Well, we know, I know that Donald Trump is a narcissist. Like, he exhibits all the qualities. Um, <laughs> but I think Trump... Okay. Well, well, can I just, can I just, or actually, I'll let you finish your question, but I, I have something okay. to say on and this. And then um, Kanye, in recent years, has come across, at least to me, as a narcissist or as someone who um, place itself above family and community. Um, and I think that that, and I think that what's true about every president is that they think they're somehow exceptional enough to lead a country that they by and large don't represent. No person that exhibits that, that inhabits the presidency really represents as many people as they feel they do. Right. Or as wide a swath, um, of the country as they feel they do. Um, go ahead, Isaac. You can make your point now. I think that was more yeah. of a comment than a question. This is actually a point about um, mental health, mental disorders, and sort of these, again, semantics in general. We get into a lot of semantics here. So this, and this is something that comes up with Kanye, especially him being somebody who has said he has bipolar disorder. So a key thing that you have to realize when talking about these things is there's a difference between the adjective that we use and a disorder. So there's something called narcissistic personality disorder, which means you're clinically a narcissist. But then there are people who have narcissistic tendencies and who are narcissists based on a societal definition. And the reason I think that's important in asking this question is because there, there is a spectrum of what narcissism means and it means different things to different people and so what i would say is i think anybody who's an elected official in the federal federal level and almost at the state level depending on where you're looking uh people who are in congress people who um executive branch things like that i think they are all narcissists now whether that is a negative thing a neutral thing I wouldn't say it's a positive thing, but however you consider it, I think that they all are those things. And I think that when we say it about someone like Trump, I think we do mean it to be a negative thing. But I also think there are good politicians. Um, there are po moral minded politicians. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I can't believe you're that. actually calling any politician morally minded, but go ahead. Well, I mean, that's another Maybe conversation. My overall point is, I think they are all narcissists. Um, and that is a large claim. But going back to the first point I made, I think I'm relating more to the definition of societally, what do we consider to be a narcissist rather than an actual disorder of narcissistic personality disorder? Right. Um, I also want to make the point that it, to me, it's not so much like, are all politicians narcissists? I'm saying you have to be a narcissist to become a politician the same way. I think you have to be a narcissist to enter like Hollywood and showbiz. So this is nothing new to kind of Kanye's realm either. Um, 
But go ahead, Jahari. Well, I mean, I think if you would have asked me, are all politicians narcissists? I would have said no. Because you asked me specifically about the presidency, I said yes. Okay. Well, well, okay. So I'm not, and and I would ask the question again and say, not just, I wouldn't say all politicians, because there are levels of politics, which I would not agree with. But do you think, would you say that everyone in Congress who runs for a seat in Congress is, whether it be the Senate or the House, is a narcissist? Not necessarily. Hmm. Yeah. I do think that some people go into it with the right reason. I do think like other, you know, uh, spheres of the American culture, there's some type of indoctrination and like coercion into being a certain personality type in order to thrive in that environment, right? Mm. When you think of assimilation, you have to assimilate into a, um, you know, self over family and community um, to like get ahead in politics because someone's always going to try to expose your weakness about actually caring about people, which is like what we portray um, politics to be, like a representation of the people, right. and weaponize that into you being soft. They did it with the crime thing back in the um, 80s, that if you were soft on crime, that was a bad thing. It was a bad thing for you to actually believe that people could be redeemed and uh, not be subject to uh, such violence inside of the inside of the justice system or criminal justice system or law enforcement. Um, if you were tough on crime, that was seen as um, you being, I guess, more macho. Like, like you know that you have all the answers to why people do things, and all of them lead back to the path of there are certain people in society who cannot be redeemed and should not be allowed to be amongst the public. And on that same token, right, we're putting into political conversation, there are some people who are soft in politics, who are really in it about the people. And that's the weaker spot. The tougher spot is to say that you will stand and defend yourself to any point possible to where people are really picking you based off how well you fight your opposition, more so than how well you fight for them. Right. And that, that to me has actually been my original qualm with politics as I know it, which is, I guess, in the Americans or in America, um, is that it, it's it's very easy. And this is why I, going back to my thing about narcissism is that it becomes a performance. It becomes a show and it becomes less about kind of the true kind of ethics of politics. Um, and I, I think that exists in other spheres i think it exists um in the uk sorry isaac (laughs) it exists frankly globally at this point um but i think one can see that truly um with kind of how politics is branded um in the u.s with kind of like your your like showdowns between um nominees and whatnot um but yeah well okay now I'm gonna have to say something about the UK because you've attacked Please me. keep it brief. Please well, keep it brief. I don't just wait a minute. I don't just blindly stick up for the UK. But what I will say is, uh, as it relates to the United States and the UK, and what I've realized in looking at politics is people do not want a democracy. Like they really don't yeah. want a democracy, especially politicians. The way well, that we don't exist in um, one anyway. So they're sticking true to their word. 
I agree, but even if you so if you look at the there there's a global annual evaluation of how democratic nations are, and the United States continuously ranks behind places like the UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, because of course the UK, I mean the US is not this um, hub of freedom. We all know that. Um, but even in the UK, you have this problem where voting is based on first past the post voting, which essentially means that whoever gets the plurality or the majority wins. But there are systems where you have run up elections of the top two, the top three that could be significantly more democratic. Um, and this is definitely a side point to everything we're talking about today. But I think that it is an important point to recognize and the reason politics is kind of going downhill, I think, is because people are realizing that we're not operating in a true democracy, realizing that we're not operating with the will of the people or whatever you want to call it, and they're getting very frustrated with that situation. Mm. So go, ahead. go ahead, go ahead, Sway. Just circling back to my earlier point about kind of this growing anti-establishment sentiment, I think more people are realizing that. Um, the question for me is, do we even want a true democracy, um, especially in America? Um, so, yeah. Go ahead, Jari. I think my question, so um, keep it on topic with the current event just for a few more minutes. Right. Um, uh, I've seen some comments and some commentary on social media about how people are excited to vote for Kanye potentially because he is pro-black and he and it seems that the name of the game and this happened some you know somewhat in the 2016 election although there were really just three big candidates um whereas like this one we had a lot of people on the democratic side who were asked about it um but we only had one republican and he's not really asked about it um but the question to the democrats mainly from my perspective from Charlemagne the god um, is you know, what is your Black agenda? What are you going to do for Black people? And I think that that's the name of the game this time around, especially with the the political and social climate that we're living in, is what about Black people? What do you have to say for everything that's happening to Black folks in this country? And it's why, you know, certain people, we don't have to go into the names because that'll take me down the rabbit hole, of why certain people are deemed uh, not being pro-Black, and certain people are, who gets to own that title? What does pro-Blackness even mean? Does it have a definition in the political sense? So that's my question. Who gets <laughs> to own pro-Blackness and what does it mean to be pro-Black? And does Kanye um, fit the definition? No, no, <laughs> no. Easy. I'll answer that question first. No. <laughs> Second, I think... I mean, I'm not going to be able to give you a clear answer to this talk about pro-blackness because I think it is very difficult. And this is sort of what I was talking about earlier with the whole Obama conversation is people ask that now, was Obama pro-black? I think the answer to that is generally no. Um, and, and when I say no, I don't mean it in the sense that um, he was anti-black, anti <laughs> anything like that, but his politics were not centered on the idea of pro-blackness. And the question you're asking, which again, I'm sort of dodging the question is, is that actually relevant to the politics? And the answer I think is, I don't know. But I think for something like the presidency, I mean, you seriously have to consider that because a majority of your constituency as the United States is not black. Um, and I think this goes back to what Kanye thinks his strat strategy is. 
every person in their right mind, now you can bring up the question of whether Kanye's in his right mind, but every person in their right mind knows Kanye cannot win this election. And this goes back to the question of then why is he doing this? And I think it answers or it supports the answer that Otsway and I gave of this idea of trying to pull votes from a certain demographic of people. However, I do not think that's going to work, but obviously, I mean, you've said that there are people who think he's pro-black. That baffles me. Um, I think the appealing part of Kanye, which we were talking about before, is that there is a united movement of anti-establishment, or not a united movement, but people in the anti-establishment movement are united in their anti-establishment this that sounded kind of weird but the reason i think that's relevant is because in that camp you've got marxist you've got radical leftists but then you've also got radical right people you've got um pretty much i mean fascists there's fascists everywhere nowadays but so my point is that group of people is very is more diverse than some people would like to think it is um, and I think that plays into the conversation of how Kanye's campaign will actually turn out. Because I think he's going to do, from from my perspective, I think he's going to do more damage than good. I think he doesn't necessarily understand how those politics function. Right. Um, so, yes, my answer is no as well. Um, it, I just find it funny because it's like, I swear a year ago, we were all like screaming at Kanye West for wearing a MAGA hat or MAGA uh, hat and saying that slavery was a choice and whatnot. Um, so I'm not sure where we kind of switched and said, oh, there's a black man running. Let's vote for him. If you don't, you're not pro-black. Um, I also wanted to circle back to a tweet that I love and reference all the time I think I send it to or maybe Jahari sent it to me um which is something like I'm pro-black meaning I'm against all people that are against my people including black people um and so Kanye has proven himself well to me by virtue of just being a billionaire um under capitalism that he is not pro-black um can't point to you really for the exception of the fact that he is a free-minded black person um and i guess within the narrative of the u.s that means something um and he's not he's speaking kind of he's countering your traditional kind of black celebrity um kind of relatively progressive um kind of narrative so in that sense yes i guess he could fit under the pro-black paradigm but i don't even understand how one could even could even (laughs) look past his his history his recent history with black people and say that my vote for kanye is alluding to me me being pro-black furthermore (laughs) i thought like half of the pro-black kind of thing was the black family unit and Kanye didn't marry a black woman, <laughs> so I'm so confused. Well, this he married a black fishing woman. Yes, he did, and that's that's arguably. So maybe some night the... she does look black to him. I'm screaming. <laughs> maybe in a couple. Of I didn't years. know in this a was a. Years. I forgot. This is not a shady podcast. I need a separate <laughs> podcast. Okay, <laughs> I can throw anything I want to. Right. So, so yeah. 
confused by everyone saying that. Would love to hear more from them. So, okay, so two more two more things, and then I'll get off the topic. One, um, Kanye's branding strategy is usually centered around um, controversy and um, being eccentric. Could this just be a, 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 to your point about if this is a conspiracy with Trump or with the Republicans or with the elites, whomever, um, is it possible that he could just be rolling out a new pair of Yeezys? Fair, yeah. And also, let me be clear. I don't think he's working with the Republicans. I think he's working with Trump. I think that they both are two individuals who are traditionally part of one space and just through just whatever their antics enter infiltrate other spaces obviously succeed in certain instances so i think he's working with trump not the republican party um and also another red flag for me is the fact that elon musk is basking that is is backing this um your favorite white south african billionaire (laughs) so i think it's a wrap for this i think everyone's saying that this is some pro-black thing to vote kanye needs to absolutely chill um but yeah so i think that this is also interesting because and we won't delve too much into this this is for another time in another place um but uh you know last week uh, just to recap for folks who may not have listened to it yet or don't remember um, that we talked a little bit about abolition and how ab- what what the um, ramifications for how we care for and about each other in community um, it ca- is um, only conducive um, for abolition if we truly embrace each other as a community. Right, I have to be in community with you for you to hold me accountable, and likewise. Um, and that cannot happen when we deem some people being irreversibly damaged. And so mm-hmm. I think that what this, all that to say, what this really speaks to is Kanye was never canceled. The fact that so many people have run to his defense or run to his support in light of his um, tweet shows that he was never truly canceled by the mainstream. And the reason why most people, some people are rejecting him um, as running for president more so has to do uh, with his weirdness as a celebrity or mm. as a weird member of the celebrity class that has said some very harmful and done some very harmful things to the black community in recent years, in, in the Trump era, more so than um, like just wanting him to be gone or wanting his career to be over or wanting his money to be gone. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. No, and I yeah. think I, I think I, I just thought of this as well. Um, to me, Kanye running is probably the most American thing because what it speaks to is kind of exceptionalism, individualism. And that's what's fascinating is that if you look at Elon Musk, Kanye West, and, and Donald Trump, the, the similarities are just in your face. They're just there. And I, I think we're kind of, I don't know if we're going to further talk about this, but it speaks to me more of the overall American culture of celebrity, antics, publicity stunts, and just like how any any big kind of celebrity can knows and can bank on the American attention, um, especially those who operate in, in kind of this side of celebrity culture. They know that they can always adhere the mass kind of younger American attention with 
antics that ultimately are a threat to them. Like, I think this is the most American thing I've ever seen. I agree. Um, okay. <laughs> so we can we can move on. <laughs> Next, uh, we want to get into, like, the meat of the conversation. So let's start with um, American political identity. So in 2016, I think that we finally saw another or a more explicit raw deal um, in the political atmosphere, right? That we had people who felt like they were left out, mostly white, straight white men, or at least straight to us. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, they decided that um, Trump was a person that spoke to them and Trump represents them, you know, in his um, foo-la-la as a rich white man amongst the elites of the Democratic and Republican parties represents the lowest white man, so to speak, the poor white men of America. (laughs) So all that to say, I guess the question really is, um, who is responsible for the rise of the fascist regime that if it were to happen in another country, American interventionism would have been taken Trump out by sniper and replaced him with someone who was more conducive to America. Mm. I mean, that's a difficult question. I think, and this goes to American politics, and we talked about this a little bit. America, if there will ever be a resurgence of fascism globally, America, in my mind, is the center of that. America is the highest functioning empire right now. All of the, um, I mean, all of the other empires are in decline. The French still have massive control over their former colonies. The British still have massive control. Yet their empires and control over those countries are still in decline. The United States is an expanding empire, um, which, I mean, if you just combined all, combine all of these people who feel disenfranchised by the economy, uh, deindustrialization across the United States. If you combine all of these factors, the white identity, which is very similar in its construction to the German identity as something that really doesn't exist. um, You, and I, I mean, I'm very hesitant to make this claim. And the reason I'm hesitant to make this claim is because obviously this would be highly debated by well studied historians there would be tons of caveats but i definitely see that support there there's this blind cult following of one's country there's no responsibility for holding that country accountable i think it's a very dangerous spiral that's um happening right now and so to specifically answer the question i don't think any one thing is responsible which is an easy answer to give um but i think that's because the general politics and environment that we're in is somewhere that fascism could take root. Um, Additionally, you have to remember that fascism in um, 1920s, 30s Germany takes root in a democratic system, uh, a democratic system that was weak in terms of its actual democracy. And the real root of it is a strong minority with an indifferent majority. And I think that's precisely what is (laughs) present in the United States. Um, And I think that is the real danger of of 
everything that's happening. I was wow. Yes. <laughs> I was about to say something like that. Um I think what America kind of banks on is identity crises. Um we were just talking about this the last the other day. But I think the av- whether it be kind of really truly identity politics or kind of like truer politics um which I think in America is kind of the same but um I digress. I think America banks on identity crises because America will tug and pull at what it means to be you, um, whether that be um, kind of a more racial ethnicity question or whether that be more of a gender sexuality question. I'm not saying that like these concepts aren't true anywhere else, but I think the, the American kind of context is so rigid and so um, confusing that it doesn't allow for much flexibility. And I think that's what's going to ultimately lead us there. So to expand on this, this might be bleeding into the topic that we're going to talk about next, about race and whatnot. Um, but I, th- I always find it fascinating to, to talk to Americans about race. <laughs> I'm talking like I'm not from here, but whatever. Um, I, I think it's fascinating to talk to Americans about race because it's such a rigid concept in their head. Like, white is white black is black but if you talk to some people from literally insert country here what it means to be those things is different and it kind of allows for more um flexibility because there are just more categories um and i think that once you what's dangerous is that we're getting into this point where so many things are locked in to the american paradigm that it's just ultimately going to lead us to whether it be fascism or, ooh, if you're me, I think some sort of genocide. But <laughs> um, it, it's scary to think about, but it's it's relevant because, um, especially with the globalization of the world or the increasing globaliz- globalization of the world, we have the power to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um. I think one of the differences, and uh, yeah, I think one of the differences that I see is that power to do it. And I don't necessarily, I think that is the historical difference between comparing this to somewhere like Germany or Italy um, in before World War II that will be the interesting narrative change to see go forward. Because if you think about the position that Italy and Germany were in, their empires were very much in decline. Right. And so it's interesting, interesting to see that all of those things are happening um, or all of those things happen. But here in the United States, while um, local industry, especially in the inland United States, is in decline, the actual economy of the United States and its global control is not in decline. And so it'll be interesting to see what role that different power dynamic plays. Additionally, I see this as a very, um, I think something that will be a little bit different as well is that there will be active um, opposers to this. And that's not to say that there were not active um, opponents to fascism and Nazism in Europe, uh, because there were, and it went very poorly, but I think there are more in the United States. And, you know, I'm one of those people who thinks a civil war is going to happen. I don't think I'm alone in that view. But um, 
it's a much larger country. It's not, um, it doesn't have this sort of homogeneous idea. Although it wants to have that idea, it doesn't have that present in the United States in comparison with Germany. So I think it's going to be a very different situation, but I still think it's worth recognizing that those ideals are sort of taking root and we see those in American politics. Right. Like, I honestly, I just asked myself, like, like, who would fight for America? Like, I just want that question to be polled. Like, whatever that means. Like, who's fighting for America? And whatever that means to the person obviously will differ. But I think that question is essential, especially after the 4th of July. Um, we are seeing this growing kind of anti-American sentiment. Um, not sure what's going to take us. Um, but yeah, it is, it is, to me, rather worrisome um, to think about. Um, but frankly, it seems like we're due for it. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I mean... I think that the missing piece of this is, like you said, Isaac, there are systems that allow people like Trump to hold office and it's perpetrated by both parties, both major parties, Um, which goes back to the point about the two-party system. Is it effective to have a two-party system? If it is not, how many should we have? Well, we already have a lot of parties, active parties. They're just not active in the mainstream discourse. So is how many parties will we need to have do we need parties or is it better to just have individuals vote around ideas? Is the two-party system actually the reason for this kind of evil and why we can't seem to get a good grip on ending a fascist regime? Regime. Okay, I would say I would say a few things. One, I am a strong believer in the fact that the United States is too large a country to govern with democracy, republic, or any form of it. Yes. Um, only nations in size that are comparable in terms of the way they operate are, or not even in terms of the way they operate, but are comparable in the, in the terms of population and control are Brazil, Russia, China, and India. China and Russia are both totalitarian and or authoritarian in their control. Um, and the reason that they do that is because their country is too large to govern. Brazil is going through the same thing as the United States right now. It has very similar racial politics and racial divides in terms, especially in terms of uh, the sort of idea of Brazilian manifest destiny. Um, and Genocide. They're, exactly. They're going through this sort of same thing of the, the, the president they have now is pretty much a fascist. And India is actually interesting because it's called the world's largest democracy. And similar to the United States, it doesn't function as de a democracy. You have a large population of homogeneous or at least religiously united individuals through um, Hinduism, which by no means am I trying to attack Hinduism here, but there is um, Hindu nationalism in India. And that's a huge issue. So there's no country, um, and these are all empires in my mind. There's no empire which is as large as the United States as func and functions as a democracy, which we know the United States doesn't function as democracy. So I'm a large proponent of this idea of breaking the US up um, into different regions, et cetera. First of all, we need to be giving a significant amount of land back. That's a very radical view. Um, so what I would say is, is if I'm going to analyze it from a perspective that is not that view and to just look at it from sort of what we're saying about parties, um, and I'm going to go to the UK because that's an example I know well. 
the UK has, I'd say, three major parties. Um, it has three secondary parties that have seats in the parliament, but aren't necessarily large forces to reckon with. But even in the UK, this is a major problem because you have the Labour Party, which is left-leaning and has serious problems with anti-Semitism. You have the Conservative Party, which has serious problems with Islamophobia and racism and is right-leaning. And then the third largest party, the SNP, is a national-based party of Scotland. Um, and so it's very hard to answer that question of how many parties there should be, because the United Kingdom is a country of roughly 60 million people. The United States is a country of 350 million people. And so the question becomes, well, if we divided it the same way, you'd have roughly, oh, God, I'm bad at math, but you'd have like 40 parties for the United States if you were to say that that amount of population should have one party in their name. And that system would not function well. Um, so again, I really don't see a possibility where American democracy as a united group of 50 states functions properly in, a, in any party system or democratic system. And that's not to say that I don't think it should be a democratic system. I just think it is too large to be a democratic system. And I think that is proven time and time again. I think in the same way that Soviet communism should be viewed as a failure, American democracy should be be viewed as a failure. Agree. So, okay, well, you said that we didn't have a democracy. So, how is it a failure? Oh, because I'm 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 calling American democracy as the in the same way that I would say that the Soviet Union was not a communist country. I, I'm just calling it American democracy as the idea and the way it actually functions. And this again is getting into semantics issue issues. I would always say that. Um, this is the American democracy, and I don't think it's a democracy. I just think that's part of labeling it to denote that American democracy is specifically an idea which is in contrast, in opposition to the idea of democracy. Right. And, and going back to your original thing, I, I think, or to your original question, um, so we were talking about this earlier, but like in my head, we don't even have, well, we have two parties, literally. But if we were to break the country up into parties, I think we would have five parties, which would be interesting to see how, I mean, you were talking about the UK, like how a odd number um, of parties would work. But I do think um, quite literally, like there are just splits between the parties. Um, to me, the most obvious one is that like, the center there just should be a centrist party like too many people are just neither democrats nor republicans they're just centrists on obviously on both sides of the aisle um and that to me once i had that realization i just realized that there are just five parties do i think that we should even have parties in the u.s i think if we if we did not break up into smaller countries possibly but probably we shouldn't. Like, I think that if we're going to keep the American population at the size it is, having five parties would help, but it wouldn't solve any issue. Like, I think it would just reduce certain things. It would reduce kind of like the, again, the kind of toxicity of the two-party system. But I think it would just invite more issues. Like, I don't think we're solving anything great here. 
Well, I think that's also interesting is this idea of no parties because there is this narrative that uh, the founding fathers, and, and I think I agree with it, the founding fathers didn't necessarily want there to be parties and immediately um, political unions formed between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. And then later in the 1820s, political parties began to form as suffrage was expanded to uh, general white males rather than aristocratic white males in the 20s, 30s, and 40s across Western states. And I think, well, there's two things. One, or actually no, one thing about that is, is the reason they could imagine a system of democracy without um, political parties. And I think the reason they could imagine a system of democracy, period, is one, because they imagined aristocratic democracy, right. which is what happened in the UK at the time. The model was based off of the, the British system in 1776, which was that rich white land owning males had votes in the House of Commons and the House of Lords. And that system, when I say it functioned well, I don't mean functioned in a positive way, but it functioned well for the purpose that those individuals were giving it, which was that they had debates between different aristocrats who at the end of the day could go to their mansions and agree that agree to disagree. Because at the end of the day, all the decisions they made kept the poor poor, the blacks blacks and so forth. Um, and I think that is the system that was designed to happen in America. And when you try and fix that democratic system through the system, which is giving suffrage to black people, giving suffrage to women, giving suffrage to non-land-owning white males, you have serious problems because you have laws which undermine the purpose of that system, which is why it functions so poorly, both here and in the UK. The great thing about the UK, I know I'm going back to this, is that the UK doesn't have a written constitution, so it's actually very easy to change the way the system functions. And I think that's actually a benefit of the UK that um, is sort of ignored sometimes. They still have their problems. Um, but going back to the United States, if you think about just population numbers, I mean, Mississippi used to be split up into like two districts. Maryland used to be split up into two districts. And now there are so many people that, I mean, it, <laughs> the system just cannot function properly with this many people in the democracy. And I think even if you had five parties, a centrist from somewhere like California would be vastly different from a centrist from New York or a centrist from Nebraska. Um, because, and I think that would be the same for all five of those divisions of that sort of spectrum. Um, and I would also just as sort of a last point to that, say that there's, there's not even, there's, there's no system from the democracies which I have evaluated personally, whether it be Germany, France, the United Kingdom, uh, Japan, uh, Malaysia, etc., that there is a there is a way to just split up the the parliament based on sort of the spectrum, and I think that is because the ideals and the things that people want to change in the national mind are constantly changing. And that's what's such a huge problem in the United States is somebody who lives in DC is living a vastly different life than somebody li who lives in Des Moines, Iowa. So I think, I mean, again, I'm kind of just 
spouting my rhetoric about splitting the United States up, but I really don't see a way that this system functions properly. There's so many reasons it's not going to function properly. And I don't think the way is to reform through that system. I agree. So you are for people just organizing around ideas rather than personalities. Ideas rather than personalities. Well, because if we still have... I don't have, think that's possible. If we still have a system where we have to elect people to offices, if that system does get torn down, then we still have to... Well, like, okay. You see what I'm saying? So... I would agree with Otsway. I think it's not possible. And I know this is going to grind your gears. I'm going to go back to the UK for a second, just because this is a perfect example. In the UK, the prime minister, which everyone knows is equated to the president, the prime minister is never voted upon. The prime minister is just the head of the party with the majority or the plurality in parliament. And the reason that's important, especially to the most recent election in the UK, is because people literally switched parties and did not vote for their personal constituents who have nothing to do with the prime minister just so that that party didn't get a majority. So, or, or actually, it was the other way out. Just so that that party did get a majority, just so that person could be the prime minister. And that person, Boris Johnson, has a terrible personality. And a lot of the people who voted for him agree. Um, and there is a mix, there, there's a balance, or not balance, but there is a mix of voting for that person's personality and voting for that person's politics. And I think the reason the UK is that good example is because people are voting in a way that they're thinking about decisions even ahead of just the people they're putting in office and thinking about who the party would put in office if that party gets a majority and it gets very complicated but i don't think there's a way to separate between ideas and party and just going back to my one point i made before i think the only reason the founding fathers could imagine a system with no political parties is because the system they were created was for a group of people with the same interests. So effectively, they'd be it'd be something like saying the Chinese Communist Party. There's technically more than one party in China, but they're all under the structure of one party. They only need one party, and it's technically not a partisan system because there is one party. And the only reason they the, the reason they don't need anything else is because that system is only made to benefit them. They all have the same common interests, and that's why. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson was able to imagine a system with no political parties because it would be serving the white aristocratic uh, British Americans living on the East Coast. Um, And I think that's important in evaluating the American system. No, I totally agree, especially in our day where like, I mean, how many people actually could name like five of Donald Trump's policies? But like ask them to name five of Donald Trump's problematic tweets and kind of rants. Like, they got you. I mean, I think that we have kind of moved into the space of, like, everyone's kind of putting on a show. Um, And I guess to a lot of people, Joe Biden is putting on a better one than Trump, whatever that may be. (laughs) Everybody's campaigning for Joe Biden except for Joe Biden. (laughs) Where is he? Um, But yeah, no, I, so to answer your question, um, I, I don't think it's possible. I, I think that we will ultimately end up supporting personalities um, rather than true like policy and an opinion. 
So I want to go back. I, I think that, yes, I want to, I, I hear all of this. I want to go back to um, the current event and I want to put it in context of this. If we had, a, you know, like a three-way thing, kind of like how we had with Bernie, Hillary, and Trump, you know, until like a probably around this point in the, um, you know, in the election season, right now we're down to two. So if Kanye was to actually hypothetically become the third, do you think we'd see the same type of re- uh, response to threat around Kanye's candidacy that we saw around Obama's presidency. Expand. Hmm. What do you so, mean? So as to say, like, the reason that white men wanted to rally around Trump, right, an insurgent populist candidate that, you know, kind of um, speaks to a lot of the resentment that was living in their hearts or in their minds um, because they kind of saw a threat to the patriarchy, right? As, as a white supremacist patriarchy that places white men on top, and they saw a black man fill a position that was traditionally given to white men and bring in a coalition of people into like this cosmopolitan view, you know, perspective of America. Yeah. The patriarchy yeah. is threatened, right? Which is why they kept pounding him on denouncing um, his quote unquote black behavior. He mm-hmm. wasn't acting in line. He wasn't you know, assimilating to what the white boys did. His pastor was in talking about the evils of America on Sunday mornings. And that doesn't, you know, sit right well with um, how America works and how um, white men expect America to work. So would Kanye possess that same threat, um, whether he's on the left, whether he's a Democrat or not, whether he's a Republican or not, you know, whatever. Will we see that same kind of energy pushed his way from both sides? I think yes, but I think maybe just going back to what I said before, I don't think any political analyst, politician, news anchor, etc. would seriously consider the prospect of his presidency. So I don't think that would even come up, but you're definitely going to see this sort of like anti- blackness going on which just happens naturally when black people are center of attention right i mean i don't when you say a threat are you saying like a threat like a threat to what a threat to a a potential biden presidency or a threat to like what's what a threat to societal order another black man running for president Mm. it has some precedence now uh, no, it, it does. But I think Obama, in more ways than one, still upheld and represented the establishment. Like, I think that obviously race is a huge factor, but Kanye West is not. I mean, not only is Kanye West not doesn't not only does he not represent the establishment, he's a rapper. <laughs> so um and to me that that means nothing i think rappers should be able to i mean i would vote in in theory i would vote for a rapper there's nothing about being a rapper that stops me from thinking that you could be a good president um but i'm saying like he and i don't want to be the type of person that's like excuses his blackness but i think that ultimately like kanye west is just a big 
you know, like a, a big celebrity rapper. And that's the, the, the bigger threat. And I think that's rooted in anti-blackness. But if I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, huh, I can't even name too many white rappers, but if a white kind of, um, if Elon Musk ran for president, what type of conversation would we have? Because again, I already made the parallels. I personally think Kanye West, Elon Musk, and Donald Trump are very similar in how they're running kind of the country. Um, like, like, what would be the national response? I think that's a better question rather to liken him to Obama because Obama's still Obama's still the establishment. <laughs> so I think the question really is shouldn't we be eating the rich so that they have no way <laughs> to run for president? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. Um. And that's another thing that will forever be fascinating is that, like, because you talked about, like, a, a Trump and, like, a, being a populist and whatnot. Like, we truly have deluded ourselves into thinking, like, rich people can, like, represent poor people. Like, on the very basis of that, like, this whole thing is canceled. Right. Like, <laughs> that's fascinating. I think that, um, what what it's also directly um, oppositional to the pull yourself up by the bootstraps theory, mm, yes. like like the 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 myth of some type of meritocracy, right? Like Donald Trump only that didn't get to the presidency in some type of you know meritocracy and some type of like earned positionality and power he took it <laughs> right. like he usurped it no one was thinking that Donald Trump was going to become an insurgent they thought it was a joke much like we do about Kanye right now albeit mm. that Kanye is a little late to the game in terms of writing himself in you know on the ballots <laughs> but um, you know as the deadlines are approaching um, you know we got like probably I think five between now and the beginning of August but um it's possible that Kanye could become an insurgent candidate, even if it's a write-in. Like, and that's what I think is the more dangerous half of this conversation. That's what the conversation should be on. Don't write Kanye in. He may not make it to the actual ballot in terms of registering, but don't write him in either. And that Mm -hmm. has less to do with who owns whose vote and what the demographics are and more so just about what do you think what do you think this country could be you can't simultaneously be calling people cops and saying that they're not worthy of you know the black vote and then and the you know and then the other scheme of things be like well you know this guy is married to a black fisher he's in a black fishing family he's in a family <laughs> that builds its wealth and its popularity off a of black man and then be like, whether he's going to be the blackest, blackly black president we've ever had. <laughs> like, those things don't work together. Right. So your logic is flawed, babies. Your logic is very flawed. And point in case, again, we haven't even seen his policies. Right. Well, we haven't like, really seen Joe never Biden will. either. <laughs> or Trump's. I don't know what you expect True. to get. He's not going to hand out a packet. 
he might hand out it, it might be on his new album i was about to say platform and each song song number one introduction song right. number two health care right. song number three mama's is dying uh, black uh, Mater- featuring the black maternal health <laughs> you know what i'm saying right <laughs> and maybe we are the clowns Maybe we just spent an hour talking about Kanye West running when he's really just going to, as you said, release some new shoes. Right. True. But I think it's also interesting, like, do we keep the same energy for, like, Jill Stein? Who, like, like could have... Could I don't have like Jill Stein. <laughs> right, but did she, did, she, did she technically take away votes? No. The votes... The people who are going to vote for the Green Party are not vote voting for, Green for Hillary Party. Clinton. Right. <laughs> Like but in the absence, but in the absence of the Green Party, would they have changed? No, no, not at all. As far as I'm concerned, no. Well, because think about it this way: in order to have, um, like, the electoral vote between um, Hillary, so okay, first of all, it was 55.7 percent turnout for votes in 2016. Interestingly enough, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton from, come from the same state, <laughs> New York. And she's from oh, Arkansas. Donald, huh? That's Bill Clinton, baby. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, Bill Clinton is from Arkansas. You're so right. I was thinking the same Hillary thing. Hillary Clinton and I was like, is not from Arkansas. Ew. Hillary Clinton was born in Chicago. <laughs> Still not New York, but okay, next. But no, 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 no. But then later on, I she moved to New York. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Like right. on the other side of her um, stint as first lady, she, okay. because then she right after that she went and ran for a senate seat in New York. Right. Okay. Right. So she's only in Arkansas because of her husband. But nonetheless, back to my point. Donald Trump carries 30 states and Maine, or at least yeah, in Maine. And then Hillary Clinton carries 20 in D.C. with 227 votes, uh, electoral votes attributed to Hillary Clinton, 304 attributed to Donald Trump. So once again, the percentage of the votes don't matter. Yeah. The fact that Jim Stein is taking, (laughs) what, like 2% of the vote in total is not, right, probably less, is not stealing from Hillary Clinton. Fair. In fact, I think most Democrats are being that they're resistant to people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar and Ayanna Presley as the squad, right, are going to be even more resistant to people like Jill Stein, whose whose platform is like eco-socialism and anti-racism and you know what I'm saying, like pro-environment, mm. because that is a direct threat to business as usual. Right. Hillary Clinton was advocating for um, humane capitalism. <laughs> like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've got two beneficiaries of capitalist system: one in a, um, you know, the system of white inheritance, and another one in a system of um, how politics also reinforces capitalism in a post-democratic way. Once you are, you know, once you are out of the elected governance system, you can make money off the backs of people who who voted for you. Or even mm-hmm. people who didn't vote for you. Right. Um, 
I don't remember what my point was when we first got into <laughs> this, but all to say, Jill Stein is not taking, and no third party candidate is really taking any type of votes away from the Democrats or the Republicans. Right. I mean, the electoral colleges. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, is that a wrap? Any final thoughts? I don't know. I think that's what I need to say. I think that one, I, I want to implore people to, to read back up on the 2016 election. Let's not repeat the same rhetoric and let's not repeat the same actions. Let's not try to create scapegoats as a means to get away from it. If you're, all, if you're going to say that Kanye West could be taking votes from Joe Biden, then I expect to see you campaigning out here for Joe Biden. <laughs> True. I expect you to be working to clarify his record. I urge you to push him to make Kamala Harris his VP. Sorry, I just had to get that in. Um, and, and think about what kind of productive conversations we can have from, you know, insurgent candidates or, you know, late stage candidates. Hmm. Cool. All right. <laughs> Okay, well, this has been Delve Into Discourse with Zahari Isaac and Otswe. God bless you all, and God bless America. Oh, no, no you did not. No, you did not. I'm not deleting that. Stop it. Okay, redo. Let's redo the ending. Happy Fourth of July. Oh, baby. We are too funny. I'm keeping all of this in. (laughs) Okay, bye, y'all. Bye.